And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I am Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football writer masquerading as an NCAA tournament expert this March on this basketball podcast. Brendan Marks, our UNC and Duke basketball writer, joins us as usual. What a weekend. Everybody's bracket is in ruins. Brendan, how's your bracket doing? Is it, is it still intact? burst into flame after saturday it's uh it's it's a disaster yeah i feel like we calling ourselves or anybody else calling themselves experts at this point how how disingenuous can we be i didn't even get to saturday because i had ohio state in the final four and they lost right Ooh. away and i'm like well Ooh. it's over it's over like the first uh, you know time window of the whole tournament and it's over uh pretty rough outing for the acc i want to paint a picture for you here it is a post-apocalyptic world. It is a barren wasteland. Uh, a fuzzy mitt reaches through the debris. It's met by a hand pulling him out. It's Jim Beheim pulling out Otto the Orange from the rubble. He looks at the mascot. The mascot is smaller than five foot two, but he doesn't care. They've got a final four in their sights as a double-digit seed. How impressive is this? We're going to get to Florida State, too. Great for Florida State getting to the Sweet 16 again as well. But Syracuse is the story right now. Beat San Diego State 78-62 uh, to 62 in a game that was not even that close, uh, honestly. I mean, that was just a blowout in the 11-6 game. Then they beat West Virginia 75-72, a game they were up very big, and West Virginia uh, made that look closer than it was to get to the Sweet 16. This Syracuse team is an 11 seed, is unstoppable in the tournament, it seems like. Don't mess with them with their double-digit seed. This is what Syracuse does. And Andy, I love that little picture you painted for us. I mean, that is that is true craftsmanship, sir. Um, but, I, you know, this is what Syracuse does. They get in the tournament and, and now they go on this run. This is what they do every single year. So, um, you know, the thing that stood out to me really was that San Diego State game was never even close. I mean, it was not competitive, I would say. Um, and I think that this is a team that going into the tournament does obviously have the built-in advantage of people haven't seen the zone. It's a quick turnaround. It's hard to master it. But at the same time, uh, San Diego State looked completely inept against it. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about Syracuse so far and the fact that neither of us have mentioned the name Buddy Beheim is shameful. I know we're only a minute in, but, I mean, this dude has gone full-on supernova, Clay Thompson, whatever you want to call him, um, in in four Syracuse's in Syracuse's four postseason games, Buddy's averaging twenty eight point three points, shooting fifty five point eight percent from three. He has scored thirty thirty one twenty five and twenty seven points. He's made at least five three pointers in every single one of Syracuse's postseason games. So um, I you know the kids tell me that those sorts of things are good, Andy. But yeah, but Buddy is a bucket, and he's letting us know it. How often is the coach's kid actually good? Like, normally he's just, like, some end-of-the-bench guy that's, like, around. But when he's, like, a good player, I mean, 27.5 points per game in the tournament so far. I watched some of that uh, West Virginia game. These are not, like, uh, like short three-pointers. Like, he's chucking them from the, the cheap seats, and they're going in. Like, he's just in a zone right now that, uh, I mean, this make, that makes this a very dangerous team if they're shooting like that. Oh, it totally does. And I, I saw one really interesting quote from him. I forget if I, I think it was after the San Diego State game. Um, and he said, you know, I, I like to start out with shorter shots and progressively build up my range from there. He's like, once I see the shorter ones go in, then I have confidence that the, the longer ones will. And I just sort of keep pushing it back from there. And that's like how you're taught to shoot. You know, that's like form shooting is you start in small and then you build out from there. So I thought it was fascinating just to hear him say that and, and sort of reiterate that principle. But no, I mean, as long as he is playing this way, Syracuse is a legitimate threat. I mean, and, and you know, for as much as we have 
crapped on the zone this year because it has been bad. And and even our resident Syracuse expert, Matthew Gutierrez, came on here and said, look, this is not the normal Syracuse zone. These guys aren't getting in passing lanes. They don't have the same length that's necessary to be disruptive. Uh, they are playing with so much more energy in this zone now, and it, and it is giving teams problems. Of course, the quick turnaround uh, you know, helps them, I think, in that situation. It's making it so teams don't have as much time to prepare as they would normally. But at the same time, defensively, they look great. And as long as Buddy is doing what he is offensively, um, you know, in the tournament, tournament's made for guards, and, and he has certainly shown out. How much does the, the uniqueness of the zone factor into this? I mean, we see them in ACC play. I saw this stat uh, just on Twitter not too long ago. ACC is twenty-eight and twenty, or Syracuse is twenty-eight and twenty-nine in ACC games. I think in the last four years or three years, nine and two is a double-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, this two-three zone, like it feels like the ACC teams sort of have it figured out, or at least used to playing it, so they go in there and it's not. Uh, anything too strange but you mentioned before San Diego State looked like it had never played basketball before trying to figure <laughs> this thing out is like oh you pass it to the top of the key and then he's gonna turn and kick it out like they just had no clue and on top of that Syracuse does look like it's more active in that thing is it is this just like flipping to another level in tournament time I mean, I definitely think that, that there is a noticeable uptick in terms of defensive intensity from the Orange these past couple of games. And I think that they've realized, you know, uh, and, and let's also not forget, I mean, Andy, this team played well in the ACC tournament. It's not like they just showed up and gave up and didn't do anything. I mean, they played well when they were there, um, albeit in only two games, but... No, I, I do think that the situation in the ACC is it's not necessarily that the players all know the zone because, you know, you look at Duke and North Carolina, you're talking about a new roster every single year. It's the coaches. The coaches in the ACC know what Beheim likes to do. They know how to exploit the zone. They know what parts of the zone are weakest because they play it every single year, multiple times a year. And so those coaches are able to at least give their players sort of a cliff notes on, okay, if you see this, this is what you do. If you don't see this, this is what you do. Um, that's not the case in the tournament. And and you can sort of preliminarily scout the zone as much as you want, but with only a day to get really ready for it. And, you know, a lot of these teams, once they get to March, especially the teams that are planning on having these these longer runs, they're trying to work rest into the equation too. So you're trying to pack a lot of stuff into that 48-hour-ish window. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the zone is a built-in advantage. But no, certainly I think these guys are playing with a different defensive intensity than they were before. Uh, they're, they're taking more gambles too. You know, they're being more aggressive, being less passive in terms of getting the passing lanes, getting steals, going the other way. Um, and that, to me, defensively has been the biggest thing I've noticed those first two games. Well, I have to say, I got a lot of things wrong in my bracket. I did get Syracuse to the Sweet 16 correct in my I bracket. have them in the Elite Eight in mine. <laughs> and, I mean, they made the Final Four as a 10 seed in 2016. Uh, this feels similar to that. They made the Sweet 16 as an 11 seed in 2018 when they lost to Duke. That was from the playing round. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, were surprised that Syracuse wasn't in the playing round uh, in this one. This team has a chance to go to the Final Four this year. You look at that region. That is a decimated region. These are the other teams in it right now. Number eight, Loyola, Chicago. Uh, number 12 seed, Oregon State. And uh, the, the opponent they have coming up, number two seed, Houston, which had to rally to beat Rutgers. Like, if I'm play, playing a two seed in this tournament, I think Houston is the one that I want. Uh, you know, not the most spectacular offensive team out there. I think they kind of lean on their defense to be successful. Um, you know, I'm looking at that that region. I think, man, Loyola might be the toughest out in that whole thing. Syracuse doesn't have to worry about them in this round. Is this a team? Do you think they can get through two more games to get to the Final Four? Well, you know, I would say never say never because you know the state of our bracket suggests that anything can happen, and and this tournament already has proven that it's going to have a record number of upsets. You know, this is going to be one of the less chalky brackets in recent memory. So, yeah. Do I think it's possible? Sure. Um, I still don't think it's likely. I don't think that Final Final Four is the ceiling for this team. Um, and I say that because I think that Loyola Chicago is an eight seed. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk over the weekend. Was that fair? Was that justified? Should they have been higher? I mean, this is a team that was top 10 in Kempom for most of the season. Their defense and offense are both incredibly efficient. Um, you know, Crutwig is their star, but they, they just have guys who play selfish, good, clean, you know, beautiful basketball um so I think that 
the efficiency that Loyola plays with will give Chicago, uh, will give Syracuse a couple of problems. But I think that, especially against Houston, you mentioned some of the, the shortcomings that the Cougars had this week and just trying to rally and come back. They're a little banged up now, too. You know, this is not a fully, fully healthy team. So, yeah, I, I mean, the zone is going to continue to be a problem. And again, it, it comes back to Buddy continuing to play on the hot streak that he's been on. And one other guy who we haven't mentioned, and, and I have not been uh, his biggest fan this year, so I feel like I owe him a public apology on the pod, is Joe Girard. Um, I've been really, really hard on Joe Girard. He and I look like we sort of did the same thing over the summer, which was not exercise a whole lot and not eat super great. Um and Joe Girard's played really well these past two games. He's come on on both sides of the floor. He's knocked down some threes. Um, he's really been more of a secondary option. I think Alan Griffin has struggled a little bit. And Joe Girard has sort of risen to the occasion. So um, credit where it's due. I've been very hard on him. I want to make sure that I at least slip in a little bit of comeuppance. I was wrong. Um, he's playing really well right now. He's one of the big, big reasons Syracuse is winning. Well, as it turns out, uh, four-decade head coach Jim Beheim knows a thing or two about basketball. Uh, maybe we should defer to his judgment sometimes. He does know what he's doing here with Syracuse. Uh, the other team that advanced, uh, Florida State. I'll say that without an exclamation point. It was less impressive or less shocking than, than Syracuse getting their uh, third straight Sweet 16 for the Seminoles here. Maybe kind of an impressive way to get to the Sweet 16. They did not uh, do it in any impressive fashion. But hey, it's the tournament. You don't get style points or extra point, extra credit for style points, I should say. Uh, they beat UNC Greensboro 64-54 to uh, in the opener in a game they did not make a three-pointer. 0 for 9 on three-pointers. We're talking about the ACC's best three-point shooting team. Did not make a three-pointer and still won. Uh, beat Colorado 71-53 last night. Uh, that was a game the first half set basketball back a few decades. It was twenty four to twenty. You know, Buffalo or Colorado was lucky to get to to, to twenty points and a tip in at the last second there. Uh Florida State played excellent defense in that game. We gotta give the the Knowles some credit in that. Uh, what do you take from the first two uh, rounds for the Knowles? Because it, it seemed like this is what they were supposed to do. This is what they were supposed to do, Andy. And, you know, I think the way you put it and saying Florida State without an exclamation point, I mean, that's that's where we're at with this team. You know, I think we could say the same thing about how they played in the ACC tournament. I mean, against a UNC team that got absolutely throttled and embarrassed by Wisconsin, Florida State really struggled and almost game that gave away about eight different times in the ACC tournament. And, and then obviously they had their struggles against Georgia Tech in the championship. So, no, this is not a team that's playing its best basketball right now. You know, it's great that you can win a game without making a three, but you would really like to make some of those. Uh, and, and obviously that sort of changed in the second game. And um, Anthony Polite especially had a great game. And, and I, I was so impressed by his line. I actually wrote it all down. 22 points, 8 out of 12 shooting overall, 4 of 7 on three-pointers, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals, 1 turnover. I mean, that's a guy who did everything. Um, and I, I thought that he was pretty clearly the best player on the floor against Colorado. Um, just sort of did a little bit of everything for Florida State. But, you know, this is a team now. Now we get the challenge. Now we get Michigan. Now we get what, to me, is going to be the game of this next weekend. Because I think you're talking about two teams that both have Final Four potential. Two teams that have legitimate potential to give Gonzaga a hard time just just looking further down the bracket both of these teams in their own different ways can give Gonzaga problems um I'm just not sure if Florida State is playing well enough right now to beat Michigan which even without Isaiah Livers uh looked really really good last night against LSU I mean I think the guy who I've been waiting on is Scotty Barnes where is Scotty Barnes? He hasn't really done anything in either of these two games. And I understand that, you know, the minutes aren't entirely available, but uh, it's not like MJ Walker played great against either of these two opponents. So I was a little surprised not to see more of Barnes and a little surprised he didn't make more of an impact as well. Yeah, the Michigan matchup is interesting because I think Michigan, uh, a lot of people, myself included, peg them as the most vulnerable one seed in this whole thing. And as it turns out, Illinois uh, is out on the other side. Ohio State is a two-seed is out. Michigan is sort of the last uh, team standing here for the Big Ten. Uh, they look pretty good this weekend. I had them losing to LSU in that second game. And, you know, they almost did for a while there and then pulled it out and, and looked pretty good at the end. I have to say I was impressed by uh, sort of the mental fortitude that Michigan showed those first two games to get through to this round uh you're right though I, i'm curious if florida state is playing well enough to win against a team of that caliber and i suppose this is maybe exactly where leonard hamilton wants them 
I mean, this this seems to be where the Seminoles do their best is when we expect the least out of them. I uh, should mention Leonard Hamilton playing hurt, coaching hurt through this tournament. Uh, Torres Achilles stepping off the bus, misjudged a step coming off the bus, so he's over there in a walking boot on the side. Uh, I think there's a precedent for uh, coaches that are injured. Was it the Georgia State coach a couple years ago? That uh, Yeah, Coach Hunter. Yeah, he was like in a boot. and then the I think his son, was it his son who hit the big three-pointer and then he like fell off the chair on the sideline? Exactly, exactly. They were saying if he was going to make the Final Four, he was going to be like in a full body cast, but uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see this Florida State-Michigan game because I think that looking at the bracket, I think that's the, the best game in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it totally is. And I think that, um, you know, you mentioned how this is the best, was the best three-point shooting team in the ACC all season, Andy. They, they've got to prove that in, in more volume. They have to spread the ball around more and more guys have to make shots. It's that simple. I mean, MJ Walker cannot continue to to play at the level he's played at. He needs to go to another place. Um, but also Copervica played played pretty well against San Diego State, not as well in the second game. Uh, or, or excuse me, did, play, played really well against UNCG, didn't play as well in the second game. I, I just think that this is a team that their advantage is their depth, right? But that, I think, can also be their curse. I think it's a blessing and a curse because it, it – has to some extent at least in my eyes it's prohibited some of these guys from getting in a rhythm and like it's great that Anthony Polite is capable of going off and posting that line like he had um but at the same point he's not the guy who's supposed to be doing that and and they need more guys to be able to step up between MJ Walker, Copravica, Scotty Barnes, Raycon Gways pretty well I would say um Osborne I mean they have so many different guys but they all have to be hitting or else this Michigan team, which has so many different shot makers, gives them so many problems. Um, and, and Michigan is a physical team. That's one of the things I'm most excited about about this matchup. Florida State's not just going to be able to body and bully the Wolverines around. I mean, this is a, Hunter Dickinson is a grown man in the inside there. He's going to be able to give the Florida State Seminoles some trouble. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's move on to the losers, of which there is no shortage in the ACC after this first round. I'm going to go through these in order of just how interesting I thought the loss was. Uh, and tops on the list here is North Carolina, uh, losing to ninth-seeded Wisconsin. My Badgers, the team that I wrote off on this podcast last week, I said they just don't have it. And then I, they must have heard that. That clearly was the motivating force in their 85-62 to 62 win against North Carolina, that game was never close. It, never. It was a route from the start. Uh, John Brad Davidson, 29 points, 13 of 15 shooting for Wisconsin. He used it all up because in the next game against Baylor, he had eight points. Uh, Wisconsin was 13 of 27 on three-pointers, and it was a game where you're like, oh, UNC has this size, they're just going to overwhelm them. The Badgers out-rebounded them 37-34, to mostly because there were no shots to rebound for UNC because everything was going in for Wisconsin. Um, what the heck happened to the Tar Heels? It was just a total beatdown. And, you know, I think some of it, you know, give a guy like Davison credit. I mean, Brad Davison, he has, he, he's tormented NC State fans before. Now he's going to be one of those guys that, that lives in Tar Heel infamy, too. Um, you know, he, UNC didn't have an answer for him. And at one point, you know, even Leaky Black, who's largely considered UNC's best perimeter defender, and I know that some, some of our listeners will uh, hear that and they're, 
they'll start to fan up and they'll get angry because they don't think that he is all that great defensively. I, I buy into Leaky Black as a defensive stopper. It's a um, terrible name he, for a defensive stopper. Yeah. <laughs> Leaky? Leaky? It is. Inher- inherently, it's problematic. Um, but no, he, he is UNC's best perimeter defender by and large. And I mean, Davison just cooked him. I mean, he was going under screens. He was, hes- you know, every hesitation that Davison did, Leaky Black sagged off. I mean, and without picking too much on one guy, I mean, Davison just exposed him. But on the whole, no. I mean, uh, I think UNC just played its least intelligent half of basketball in the first half that it had played in a very long time. Armando Baycott, the leading scorer on this team, had either one or no shots at halftime. Kerwin Walton, the only three-point threat that UNC had, had one shot, I think, at halftime. That's not acceptable. And even days before that game, Roy Williams had said, we have to force feed Kerwin the ball. We have to make sure we're setting better and more screens for him. He has to be more aggressive hunting his shot. He's got to be willing to pull up with a less perfect look. And literally none of that happened. So I just thought it was an emblematic win of the season for UNC, a team that had all the talent in the world, never could seem to understand exactly what Roy Williams wanted them to do. Um, and now Roy Williams' streak of, of being undefeated in first-round NCAA tournament games ends. He goes from 29-0 and 0 to 29-1. and 29-1. Still pretty good. I think I'd take Not that. bad. Not bad, yeah. <laughs> an opening round uh, record there. What is the future here for UNC? I see that uh, seven-footer Walker Kessler is already in the transfer portal. Uh, perhaps not the last departure uh, from this team this offseason. I'm curious uh, where the Tar Heels go from here. Yeah, I, I think, you know, UNC fans are in a panic right now. Um, and I think that's that's pretty obvious after Kessler entered the portal. And I sort of hinted at that in my story that I wrote after their loss on Friday. Um, you're right, Andy. More decisions are coming. More defections are coming, I should say. Um, you know, I've had a couple of other buddies of mine on the beat, you know, text me and say, you know, what should we set the line at? What should we set the over-under at for departures? Um but I think if it was at four and a half or five and a half, you know, I think I would take the over there because you're talking about guys like an Andrew Playtech who inherently aren't going to be back. Kessler now becomes number two who won't be back. Um, but there are not many sure things left on this roster. And that's not to say that every single person is currently weighing, staying or going because that's not the case. There are guys who are going to stay. But every, there are a lot of them right now that are deciding what is the best future for me? Is it? Staying at UNC, running it back for another year, um, hoping for some help in the transfer portal. Is it deciding to go to the NBA and just take you know take my chances? I think Dayron Sharp, obviously he's a guy who has first round upside. Um, two teams told me last month that they had him as a late lottery guy. I could certainly see that, but you know a, a first round lock. You know you don't want to say anyone's a lock, but he's he's as close to it as UNC has. Um, Caleb Love. I mean, this is a guy we've talked about all season. He just became the first high major player since 1993 to have over 300 shots while making fewer than 32% of them from the field and fewer than 27% from three. That That is historic inefficiency. And I'm not saying the kid's a bad player, but um, there are certainly thoughts that maybe he goes to a place where he's allowed to be more of a volume shooter and doesn't have to worry as much on playing through the bigs. Um, so no, I, you know, I think... Garrison Brooks, he's another guy. Armando Baycott, Kerwin Walton even. I mean, all of these guys have decisions to make. And um, I think that UNC fans are not used to what's happening right now at the program. But there are a lot of reasons why guys are considering leaving. And, and none of them are to say that you know UNC is now this horrible place where no one wants to play basketball. But the fact of the matter is, the expected passage of the one-time transfer rule means guys can go anywhere and play anywhere with anyone else, and there's no penalty. So if Walker Kessler wants to go and play with one of his buddies at an SEC school, he's fully entitled to do that. And, and you know, UNC fans should wish him well. But at the same time, the portal works both ways. And there are guys that UNC is already monitoring. There are guys that are going to enter the portal that UNC is waiting for who would be interesting fits. Just as likely as it is that more guys leave, it's likely that more guys from the portal come in and want to play at Chapel Hill. As somebody who covers Virginia Tech football, I think it's hilarious when other schools discover the downside of the transfer portal. <laughs> like, like Virginia Tech was born in the transfer portal. These other schools are merely adapting to it. I, you were I, born in it, forged <laughs> in it. <laughs> I, I think it's just hilarious because the, the panic sets in and then people realize like, oh, you can also take transfers in. 
like North Carolina is a pretty attractive school in terms of people wanting to come in. And I think we've seen uh, the impact of transfers, even from smaller schools uh, coming into the ACC this year with, you know, Carlake Jones, Keve Aluma, all these guys that have been very, very good uh, to teams in the ACC. So I think UNC will probably be okay in the long run, even if in the short term, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, panic amongst the, the Tar Heroes faithful there. I want to move to Virginia. Uh, I feel like this was a game that a lot of people saw coming, uh, myself included in this one. Uh, they lose to a 13-seeded Ohio, 62-58. to Just a rough spot for the Cavaliers here. Uh, COVID issues forced them out of the ACC tournament last week. They didn't get to Indianapolis, I believe, till Friday. Uh, quarantining all week, hadn't practiced all week. Um uh, go out there they just didn't look sharp and with uva you could never tell is that the covid layoff or is that just an off night shooting because an off night shooting for them is 58 points and losing by four to a 13th seed uh what do you make of this opening round loss for the cavaliers yeah andy i had this one pegged too and the reason why i went with it you know credit to ohio and, and credit to them for uh making it to the tournament and busting through the mac conference tournament the way they did i mean they they blitzed through the mac but um to me this one was all about the covid protocols and you know we we i think saw this across the board too i mean did kansas look like it was playing its absolute best basketball against eastern washington certainly not against, last night i watched certainly not my goodness <laughs> i mean so i think that this is a real tangible thing and we saw it all season long it's no different now when teams were coming off a covid pause it took them time, by and large, not everyone, but by and large, it took them time to get back in a flow. Louisville came off of its second pause and lost by 45 to North Carolina. Clemson came off its pause and lost four or five games. And those were four of the only losses that the Tigers had all season. When te- Virginia Tech came back, and, and they looked better against North Carolina in the ACC tournament, but um, certainly I think had they had more time and more games in the, in the buildup to the postseason, I think the Hokies could have made more of a run. Um, you know, maybe they could have beaten Oral Roberts. Uh, I, I just think that by and large, these COVID protocols we saw all year, how disruptive they were in terms of rhythm, in terms of being on your P's and Q's. And in March, that is enough of an advantage, not being in that ideal situation where underdogs like in Ohio can take advantage. And so um, I think, you know, you look at the last three tournaments for Virginia fans, lose to a 16, win the whole thing, lose to a 13. Um that's a trade-off that any fan base is going to take because of what comes in the middle of the sandwich. But certainly, it's it's been a weird couple of years for Virginia basketball. Um, and, you know, not not making a little bit further with the current group that they had with Huff, with Hauser. Um, I, I think it's a little bit surprising, and it's certainly going to leave some bitter, some bitter taste in, in Cavalier fans' mouth. Yeah, I was going to mention that ridiculous run uh, that they've had the last three years. I saw some tweet that somebody has, like, what if that shot doesn't go in against Purdue, and, and are we talking about Tony Bennett differently right now? It's like, well, it did go in, so we don't it did. <laughs> have to do a hypothetical about that. Uh, you go back to that run that Virginia had, it's even more crazier when you think of how that Purdue game ended, how that Auburn game ended, how that Texas Tech championship game ended. I mean, these have been like high-wire acts in every game that they've had uh, over the last couple years. Uh, I don't know how UVA fans necessarily handle that uh, from week to week, but I suppose the uh, the national championship is a nice sell for that whole thing. Yeah, it is. And and listen, you know, that team was uh that team was such an ideal fit of style and coach and player skills and efficiency. I mean, to have a guy like DeAndre Hunter who ends up going in the top 10 of the draft, but he's sort of your third fiddle. He's sort of your do everything guy. I mean, the way that Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome played in that postseason Ty Jerome may not ever pan out in the NBA, but uh, what an incredible college player and, and what a perfect, perfect fit for what Tony Bennett wants to do. Um, but no, I think this is a team that this year, we said it all year, you know, they got away from their defensive identity a little bit. Their offense was different. Um, I went back and I reread during that Ohio game. Even Brennan wrote an awesome story earlier this season. And for any fans who are curious, you should certainly go search it out about how Virginia changed its offense this offseason and went away from a lot of the principles and actions that are so common under Tony Bennett and instead went with a lot of five out, you know, motionless, uh, free ball movement iso plays. Like there were iso plays in Virginia basketball and that that hasn't happened before. So I, I do think that this is a, a this is not a finished product from Tony Bennett yet. 
And and that should make Virginia fans happy, I think, that he is still tweaking. He is still figuring out what's the best complement of offense and defense. Um, obviously, you would have liked to have had more tournament success. But, I mean, Tony Bennett's one of the best coaches in the ACC, and, and Virginia fans are lucky to have him. He is going to perennially have the Cavaliers as, as the Final Four contender. Um, they'll be back. Just not this year. That's as long as Indiana doesn't pluck him away. I, I know all the Hoosiers fans think, like, hey, we, we can go get Tony Bennett. It's like, I don't think he wants to leave Charlottesville. He's got a pretty good situation going on there. Uh, let's move across the Commonwealth to Virginia Tech. Uh, first game of the tournament. Uh, pretty good game to lead off Great the game. tournament. Uh, Tenth seed Virginia Tech. They lose to seven seed Florida, seventy-five to seventy in overtime. Uh, Naheem Aline scored twenty-eight points in that game. Provided one of the the few buzzer beaters. I feel like this tournament's been lacking some buzzer beaters. He had a game tying three uh, right at the end of regulation. Uh, the Hokies get to overtime. Keve Aluma falls out. Justin Mutz falls out, and they're cooked at that point they just have no that was it no answer that at that point i felt like that that's the point where you really felt jalen Cohn's absence they just didn't have another shooter on the floor florida's size was too much in that game i still feel like on the whole virginia tech fans have to be pretty satisfied with this season though oh absolutely and i think you know you're not just satisfied with this season you're satisfied with what mike young is building um he is such a creative offensive coach uh, we talked about it last week. I believe they, they have Storm Murphy coming in next season. He's a guy who obviously knows Coach Young, knows the system, knows you know he's a perfect fit for it. Um, and he's a really, really good basketball player, really good shooter. Um, the, the Hokies are going to be fine. I mean, what he's building there I think is sustainable. Uh, I do think that they would have that, – that game probably looks a little bit different if Jalen Cohn's able to play. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with Jalen Cohn. You know, I, I don't think that uh, in the ACC tournament I was told that he was – you know, probably done for the postseason regardless because of the injury that he's been dealing with. Um, I'd be interested to see, you know, if if I saw that they've already had one person enter the transfer portal. He's a guy that I would keep an eye on. Um, I think he's a guy where, uh, yes, he's valuable to the Hokies, but I think there are other teams that might prioritize him even more. Um, other ACC teams, other teams in general. Uh, you know, I, I've heard from a couple of different people that that's a name to watch. So, but no, I mean, Virginia Tech, listen, if, if Aluma and Mutz don't foul out, I think that game is totally different. Naheem Aline went bonkers. I think he scored like the force, he scored what, the last 14 points in regulation, I think, for, for Virginia Tech. Well, yeah, nobody else can uh, make a shot. So <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but once, but once Mutz and Aluma went out, I mean, that was it. I, I think they would do really well to add another big man into the fold. And if they were able to do that and just have a little bit more depth on the inside and the post. Um, this is a team that's going to be scary again. I, you know, I really like Coach Young. I think the ceiling is is very high for the Hokies in the future. It's going to be a bright future for them for sure. If you're a Hokies fan, are you kicking yourself for the opportunity not to get to that second round game where Oral Roberts, which is on a mission from God apparently, beats Ohio State. Literally, literally on a mission yeah. from God. <laughs> beats Ohio State as a 15 seed, and you're like, man, all you have to do to get to the Sweet 16 is beat a 15 seed, but then you see the result that happens, and Oral Roberts beats Florida. Like, what would be worse, losing in the first round to miss that opportunity or coming up short against a 15 seed in the second round to not make the Sweet 16? Because I feel like Florida we might be more disappointed than Virginia Tech right now. Oh, absolutely. I think for for sure they are. And I had picked actually Virginia Tech to make the Sweet 16. You know, I came on the pod and I felt very confident in that. I thought that Ohio State might be a little susceptible. I thought they'd overperformed relative to their talent. I didn't think that Oral Roberts was going to end up making the Sweet 16. I thought it was going to be Virginia Tech. But uh, no, I mean, like, again, if, if they had had Aluma or Mutz, preferably both, in overtime of that game. I think it's a totally different outcome. I don't know why Florida even allowed it to, to get to overtime. They didn't foul up three with, you know, however many seconds left. They let a lead. Terrible. That's why you always foul up three. It was awful. It was awful. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, it is what it is. Oral Roberts is a weird, wild story. Um, but, no, I you know, I thought the Cavaliers had a good shot, and, and certainly uh, I do think they would have had a chance against Oral Roberts had they beaten Florida and, and been able to hang on. All right, two more ACC losers in the tournament. Georgia Tech. So many of yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> we run through them all. Georgia Tech loses to eight-seed Loyola, 71-60. to 60. Uh, Listen, don't mess with Sister Jean. Everybody's finding out. The Illini found that out in round two. Illinois, which I had as my champion in my bracket, thanks to, Lo thanks to Loyola. It was over already at that point, so I'm not going to get too upset about that. Uh, Georgia Tech was uh, pretty much kneecapped in this game before it even started. They did not have Moses Wright, the ACC Player of the Year, out with the COVID pro protocols. Uh, 
that's not how you want to be going into the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade. Uh, so that, that was a rough way to go into it for the Yellow Jackets. Would he have made a difference in this game, do you think? Or how I, I, just, I think it would make a difference. How much of a difference? Could they have won this game if he was there? Would that have even mattered? I, I don't know that Georgia Tech was winning this game either way. I mean, Loyola, and, and people are still talking about this, Loyola as an eight seed is is pretty criminal. I mean, this is a team that has been in the top 10 of Ken Palm for weeks now. Uh, they have one of the most efficient teams in the country. Like I said, Crutwig's the, the quote-unquote star, but um, their ball movement is insane. They they don't take bad shots. Um, defensively, they stick to their fundamentals. They don't overhelp. They don't overextend themselves. So I think it was a really tough matchup from the get-go, even if Moses Wright had been able to play. But, um, you know, the ACC tournament, the gift that keeps on giving. And by giving, I mean taking away. I mean, <laughs> this is something that, that, you know, the ACC tournament, let's, let's be blunt about it. It ended three-team seasons. It ended Duke season before the Blue Devils even had a chance to play Florida State, potentially continue making the bubble even matter. Uh, end of Virginia season cost them any time to practice and ended Georgia Tech season because it cost them Moses Wright. So um, I do think that it would have been more competitive if the Yellow Jackets had Moses Wright. How could it not? He's the AC player of the year for a good reason. Um, but no, I think it was a tough matchup anyways. You know, not not the, not the any favors were done to the Yellow Jackets, their first tournament berth in 10 years. The selection committee certainly gave them a tough draw, even if they won that game. Illinois, I mean, come on. Yeah, I was trying to think of who got the shorter end of the stick there in their seeding, whether it was Loyola at eight or Georgia Tech, the ACC champ at nine. I think it's pretty clear it's Loyola should have been better than what they are now. But it feels like Georgia Tech at nine still was kind of, I don't know, disrespectful of the ACC champion. But, you know, it, it's a season long thing. And you look at the entire resume and, you know, they have those two losses at the start of the year. They didn't play great for a stretch there. And then they got hot at the end. So. You know, maybe maybe a nine seed is a, is about where they should bend. I, I'm curious. It still feels like this was a season that Georgia Tech needed badly. Like they needed to show something under Josh Pastor here. It felt like it felt like the only thing I knew about Georgia Tech for the longest time was that the NCAA was investigating them. <laughs> and that's, that's not great. And that's yeah. not great. <laughs> and, you know, Pastor never been better than eleven and nine in the ACC. I think until this season. Uh, how badly did they need this to just sort of get some forward momentum for that program? Yeah, they, it was definitely much needed. Um, but I, I would argue that, again, this this was what Georgia Tech has sort of been waiting on the past couple of years. You know, they had been building towards this senior year for, for guys like Alvarado and um, having the experience of other guys in the lineup like Usher and DeVoe and Moses Wright. And, you know, Josh Pastner, I think, is a good coach. Um I, he is certainly one of a kind in the ACC. <laughs> he's he's a character. Um, but no, the Yellow Jackets did need this. They needed something positive. People will nitpick and put an asterisk over the fact that they won the ACC championship, but they, they beat the games. They won the games that they had to win. They beat the teams that were across from them. And uh, so, you know, give them credit for that. Uh, it's great that this program is able to hang a banner now. Um, such a weird year. It feels only fitting that a team like Georgia Tech ends up as the ACC champion. But um, no, I think that, it, you know, hopefully what this leads to is, is a more sustainable Georgia Tech program overall. I mean, the ACC is better when, when teams like Georgia Tech are better. I think that Passner has the combination of personality and coaching chops to stick. Um but yeah, I mean, this was the year they'd been waiting on. So to not win a tournament game, I, I still think is a little disappointing. But at the same time, uh, it, it certainly could have been a lot worse as well. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, we have one more team that lost in the tournament to cover. That's Clemson. Uh, seventh seed loses to 10 seeded Rutgers, 60 to 56. I'm not going to call this an upset because I believe Rutgers was the favorite going into this game. And it feels like this one kind of played out how everybody thought it would. Uh, there was not going to be a lot of offense in that game, and Clemson had even less of it than Rutgers did. Clemson shot 35%, 31% on threes. Uh, Amir Sims was about the only guy that got things going a little bit for Clemson there, but he was still 5 of 14 shooting. Clemson did not make a shot in the final four minutes. That is not how you win an NCAA tournament game. Uh, this was just this was Clemson's issue all season, wasn't it? Not enough offense, and you, you yeah. got to have some offense to win in the tournament. Totally, totally, 100%. You, you nailed it, Andy. I mean, this is a team that we've talked about how great their defense is. Um, you know, they, they, they have been the best defense in the ACC for 90% of the year. Um, UNC sort of jockeyed into that picture late, but I think that was more metrics than actual defensive performance. Um, but no, you know, this was the problem. There just weren't enough guys who could score the basketball. And I love Amir Sims as much as anybody in the country, um, but he didn't play his best game. Five of 14 is is not what you need from your senior leader. Um, you know, going the last couple of minutes without scoring a point, again, that's that's how you lose basketball games. So, no, you know, and, and Brad Bunnell is going to get a lot of uh, crap thrown his way because of this, and it's, it's not justified. For him to have won as many games as he has at Clemson, um, that is a school that is so hard to win at, such a hard place to win at, because Dabo Sweeney and his atmosphere just consumes everything else at the university. Um, but Brownell has, has carved out a niche as this gritty coach. Um, he's taken Clemson to a couple of tournaments. They haven't had the overall you know success that I think Clemson fans would love to see out of their basketball team. Probably not enough success to make Clemson basketball fans a thing. Um, but at the same time, like he is a good coach. They... They belonged in the tournament this year. Ultimately, the offense just wasn't good enough for them to make any sort of longer run. I don't think anyone is surprised that they lost to Rutgers. Um, they just need some more offensive players. That's got to be the focus now. You can have the gritty, grinded-out defense, but you need guys who can make shots on the other end of the floor, too. Yeah, we always talk about UVA ugling things up and you know talk about the pack line defense and all that stuff, but when you go like on an efficiency basis, UVA can still put together a pretty good offense this is i look at the ken palm offensive efficiency for clemson 106 nationally that was better in the acc than just boston college miami and wake forest and those are teams you don't want to be mentioned in the same <laughs> breath because none of them were even close to the postseason this year uh so yeah a, a little bit of uh, going back to the drawing board to, to figure things out uh, for clemson there I do want to take a step back here and kind of look at the bracket at large. Uh, this is always a chance to kind of have a Final Four redo. I'm going to need it. Half of my Final <laughs> Four teams are gone. Ohio State uh, out the first round. Illinois just got dominated by Loyola Chicago. I mean, they were just, they never had an answer. I mean, it, it was Officer Rod Farva on the other side that was beating them in this game. They had no answer. No answer for him. Uh, you know, that was a rough way to go down for them. Uh, how are your picks doing? I forget what your final four was. Are your picks still alive here? It's not pretty. No, it's not pretty. I had, uh, you know, the, the horse that I really put a lot on um, in terms of my bracket and in terms of my wallet was Texas. So I'm hurting right now, Andy. I'm I'm a man in pain. Um, that game was but, a rough watch, too. I was watching well, that. It was just like frenetic. I, I was watching that. I'm like, this is like watching that movie Uncut Gems, where it's just like, it's irritating my mind, everything that's going on. There was just like this crazy action and they're all over the ball all the time. There, there was such a, like the, the referees really swallowed their whistles in that game too. I mean, very, very anxiety inducing that whole, like, for, for multiple reasons. That was a ridiculous um, game. It was. So no, I had Texas um, and I also had Illinois. I had Illinois in my championship game. So, you know, I can, I can commiserate with you in that respect. Um, 
But no, you know, I think I still had Gonzaga. I had Gonzaga and Baylor still in it. And, you know, I think the, as we've seen, those were the two chalky picks to sort of ride. I don't know. Maybe Michigan. I'll, I'll see what you go for in this redo. But um, no, my, my bracket is not not doing so great. It's on live support. Well, I did not give the Pac-12 much respect. I, I think the Pac-12 heard all our jokes over the years because they go nine and one in the tournament in the first two week, uh, first two rounds here. Uh, very impressive showing by them. I, I did not put a lot of stock in them, and I am paying the price for that in my bracket. So let's redo our picks here. Uh, let's just go for the regions real quick. In the West, uh, number one, Gonzaga is up against number five, Creighton, a team that I did not think would get this far. <laughs> I had picked them losing both rounds uh, once I saw the matchups. Uh, six, number six, USC against number seven, Oregon, uh, an all-Pac-12 matchup. I mean, this has got to be Gonzaga coming out of this region, right? Yes, but I will say Oregon is a really dangerous team right now. I mean, Oregon looks really good. They've got a bunch of dudes that are like 6'4 to 6'6 or so, all of whom are athletic, can shoot, can defend. Um, I, I do like Oregon. I, I like them to come out and to make the Elite Eight. But yeah, I, you know, I still go with Gonzaga. The, the game that they played against Oklahoma, I think that was yesterday, um, Oklahoma played well. Oklahoma made shots. Oklahoma got blocks, got stops. Oklahoma got blown out by double digits. I mean, that game, at, at one point, it was a three-point game, and I looked down to type something on my laptop, and I looked back up, and it was 13. Like, Gonzaga just has that kill switch. Uh, they are so deep. They have so many guys who can hurt you in so many ways. Suggs is so explosive off the dribble, can knock down shots. Kisper is the best shooter in the country. Drew Timmy's one of the most versatile big men. He, he's, you know... They're so good. They're so, so good. I don't see how it's any team but Gonzaga. Yeah, I'd caution a little bit about Oregon just because they had such a weird way to get to the Sweet 16 where they, you know, VCU doesn't play because of COVID. And then, you know, that's an automatic, it's like a buy to get to the next round and you get to prepare for Iowa. And it looked like it. I mean, they, they came out in a game that was like the ABA, like up and down the floor. It was ridiculous, the offense in that game. I, I'm curious if Oregon can look that good in a round beyond this. Uh, the East region, uh, this is the one that has the most top seeds still there. Uh, number one, Michigan's number four, Florida State, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, second seeded Alabama against UCLA, 11th seed, which I'm a little surprised to see them in this round. Uh, I think I picked Alabama originally. I'll stick with Alabama coming out of this. I think they've looked very solid and, and maybe it's sort of a, a body blow game between Michigan and Florida State. Whoever gets out of that one uh, maybe is a little beat up for the next round. But uh, that's an interesting bracket too because all of a sudden UCLA is a very interesting team to throw into the mix there. Sure is, sure is. And, and you know, Kentucky fans are watching this UCLA run and they're watching Johnny Juzang going crazy and they're all having, you know, flashbacks and cold sweats and everything. Uh, but no, I, I would probably go with Alabama for the same line of thinking that you did, Andy. Um, I'll be honest, I wouldn't be shocked to see any of these four teams come out. I think that Michigan, obviously, is is a one seed. And uh, even without Isaiah Livers, they've been playing really well. Florida State, as we've talked about, they're big, they're physical, just their their depth is going to give a bunch of teams problems. Alabama did struggle a little bit early on against Iona, and then Iona sort of you know ran out of gas down the stretch. And um, you know credit to Rick Pitino for even getting the Gales in there. Uh, but yeah, I could see any team coming out. But no, I'll ride with Alabama. I think that um, the winner of Michigan Florida State will be totally gassed, and uh, I think that I think that the Crimson Times should be able to handle UCLA. But again. Man, Johnny Juzang is a man possessed right now. You were a fan of the Juzang clan there. Uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I think now that we've written off uh, Florida State, uh, they're probably going to come out of that region as well. Yeah, <laughs> Just when you overlook yeah. them, that's when they're at their best. Uh, in the South, uh, why do they keep these names, the West, East, South? These, they could have done interesting names on this stuff this year with all the, the history they have with these Indiana venues, and they just go with the plain old East, West, South, Midwest. In the South, uh, top seed Baylor against number five, Villanova, another team that I thought would flame out in the first round and is, <laughs> has done better than expectations. Third seeded Arkansas against uh, the team on a mission from God, uh, 15th seeded Oral Roberts. Uh I watched the Baylor-Wisconsin game uh, as a Wisconsin alum, and Baylor looked pretty darn good in that game. I, th I think now that I have a redo on this whole thing, I would probably go with Baylor out of that, that region. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I will say this is the, the region that my bracket looks the cleanest in, Andy, because I did have uh, Arkansas and Baylor in the Elite Eight. And I do think that that's what ultimately is going to end up coming out here. 
Um, but yeah, no, I'm picking Baylor. I think that they're, they're they played really well against Wisconsin. And yeah, when they're when they're back and playing at their best, they're still capable of hanging with anyone in the country. I think we were just unsure if a COVID pause again, if a COVID pause was going to be the reason that they sort of faltered. But no, I, I go with the Bears here. I'm sticking with that pick. I originally had Arkansas and North Carolina in that Elite Eight game uh, with Arkansas advancing, but now that I've seen Baylor a little bit more closely, I think I'm switching my pick there. Uh, yeah. Last region, Midwest. This is the region of carnage. Uh, number eight, Loyola Chicago against 12th seeded Oregon State, who apparently just can't miss three pointers anymore. Like ever since the start of the Pac 12 tournament, they're shooting. Uh, the like, Beavers make no sense to me. No I, sense. I haven't looked at the stats, but I'm, I think they're shooting roughly 95% from three point range. Uh, second seeded Houston against uh, Jim Beheim and the 11th seeded Syracuse Orange. Uh, I feel like this is maybe Loyola's region to win. I, I don't want to discount the Orange. I think the Orange are going to beat uh, Houston. I, I just don't buy Houston uh, in the tournament, and that's usually the, the kiss of death for predictions. They're, they're probably going to win that game now. But uh, I, you know the way Loyola just played defense in that Illinois game, and just the Illinois is a great team. They look just out of sorts and like they had no idea what to do. Uh, this is a battle-tested Loyola team. Yeah, I think they make it through there. I do too. I, I think this is Loyola's uh, region to lose at this point. And I, you know what? I actually agree with you on the Syracuse pick. I think that Syracuse is going to beat Houston. Um, and again, now that we've both picked it, they're going to, Buddy Bayham's going to score eight points and foul out in the first eight minutes. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I do think that the zone continues to present matchup problems. I think Buddy's been super hot of late. We've talked about how their zone is uh, more intense. They're getting in the passing lanes, they're using their length better. Um, Merrick Dolajai, also very underrated. Like, what a useful player. What a useful, valuable, do everything sort of guy. Um, but no, I, I think Loyola just. I mean, they're, they are uh, an efficiency machine. They don't take bad shots. Everything is so fundamental. I mean, e- even the drop steps on their post entries, uh, the ball movement, the selflessness, like it is just truly beautiful basketball to watch. If you haven't seen Loyola play, to all our listeners, if you haven't seen Loyola play yet, do not miss that game. They are so much fun to watch. Um, yeah, I've got Loyola coming out of this region, and, and I don't think that, you know, knowing how good this team has been all year, we really shouldn't be surprised if they end up going back to another Final Four. So both of us have picked Gonzaga, Alabama, Baylor, and Loyola in our redo to get to the Final Four. Folks, do not bet any money. <laughs> this is just destined to fail at this point if we have these four teams. It's, it's, uh, and, you know, here's the thing. This has been such an unpredictable bracket so far, obviously. You know, I don't think anybody, anybody needs me to confirm that. But at the end of the day, the best teams do rise to the top. And to me, Gonzaga is still the team to beat. There's nothing that has happened anywhere else that has made me think that anyone else can still hang with the Zags. Um, I think Baylor's good. I think Alabama's good. I think Michigan, when it's playing well, is really good. Um, Loyola, obviously, is hyper-efficient. Syracuse is a matchup problem. There are so many teams left still that can make noise, but to me, um, just when I look at all of that, the team that I never have any hesitation just sliding along, it's Gonzaga. And and I I just don't see that any team, even even a full-strength Baylor, I don't know that there's a team out there that can really compete with the Zags, their depth, the different ways they hurt you. Um, I I stand by my pick that has been my pick for weeks and weeks now. I I think that Mark Few comes home with his first national title. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement with you there. Uh, It's just good to have it back. Like, we missed it last year. It was so noticeable in these first two rounds where it's just joyous to watch this basketball going in, even with limited crowds like that. So hopefully that whole thing continues here. Uh, possibly we'll come back to talk about it next week when Syracuse makes its final four run. Who knows? Who knows exactly how this goes? But uh, this was a good one, Brennan. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Hope everyone uh, is enjoying their brackets and enjoying watching them burn. All right, that's another show in the books. Thanks for everybody to joining us. Uh, go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And go subscribe to The Athletic. We have a great deal right now. It's $1 per month for the first six months to subscribe. $6 for six months, essentially. Just go do that. That's a great deal. You can read everything that we have on the site in every sport. It's not like you're just assigned to one team. You can only read that stuff or one sport. You get to read Brendan's basketball stuff. You read my football stuff. You read uh, our MMA coverage. All sorts of stuff 
on the, on the athletic, uh, go to the athletic.com slash ACC pod. You can find the deal there. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Andy bitter VT. Brendan is at Brendan R marks. And possibly if we got some more ACC teams alive, I think we'll do this again next week. Who knows? But if we're there, we'll talk to you then. Thank you.